Good morning, so glad that you guys are here. I want to start off with a question. This may require some of you to think uh, about seven days back, which I know for some of you is hard, right? It's Sunday morning, kind of, you know, still kind of getting going. I want you to think back this last week. How many of you bought something new? All right, not, not like food, but like just something, something new. Anybody buy anything new? It was tax-free weekend. I mean, some, there's got to be a lot, right? Just show of hands, bought something new. Anybody? Just go ahead. Okay, that's, that's most of you. Um, I think we start thinking about things that are new, and, and we, we, we just kind of are drawn to new things, right? We, we like new things, even sometimes when our old things aren't worn out. We just want something new just because it's new and it's different, right? I, I think this is partly why social media is so big, like Facebook and, and Twitter and all of those things. I think partially why these things are so popular, not just because people can be connected, because there's really not a whole lot of real connection that happens on these things. It's about information. It's, it's about wanting new information. Like you, you check that thing 500 times a day because you want to be the first to get the updated news students right who's dating who who went out on a date like you see it on Facebook relationship status changed like you just want to know it you want to be you don't want to be the guy or girl who shows up to school three or four days later and oh did you hear about so and so and like no I didn't even know it's like well yeah they've been dating for like a week and you're like aren't you on social media? I mean, like, you know, what's the problem here? Like, you don't want to be that person. You want to be in the know, right? We, we watch the news. We, we check these things. We, we want new. We want, right? We go to the store, and what do they say to try to sell us things? Or what, what's almost everything? It's like new and improved, right? It's like I've been buying the same toothpaste for 25 years, but now it's new and improved. I got to get that. Like the other stuff didn't clean my teeth good enough. Like this is going to be better, right? It's new and improved. We got to get the bigger TV. We got to get the better things, right? I think we're all drawn to that, this, this idea of wanting something new and bigger and better. And I think even spiritually we're drawn to that. Right, right? We, like, like, man, I've been going to church for a long time. I, can you find me that obscure passage in the Old Testament that's just going to rock my world? I mean, that's what like... You know, give me that prayer of Jabez, right? No one's seen it for like 500 years and all of a sudden it just jumps off the pages. I think the reality for us, what, what we're trying to accomplish in this place and what I'm so thankful for as we walk through Philippians and what we see over and over in the Bible is that God continues to just bring us back to the gospel. Kurt and Jamie and I got to go to a conference this week. This is one of the things that was pointed out, and it just really kind of struck me this week as I've been thinking about preparing the sermon and preaching multiple weeks. And this thing that we're drawn to new and improved when the reality is the thing that is most important to us is the things that we already know, and namely the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Scotty talked about this a little bit last week that Heaven forbid if the gospel ever gets old to us, right? If you ever come in this place and, oh, we're going to talk about the gospel again, like that should be a red flag. And I want you to know it's our heart's desire as those that are going to stand before you and preach is that we're going to continue to just kind of land on the gospel. We're just going to kind of continue to look at scripture and see it through the lens of the gospel. It doesn't mean that we don't take the things that we're learning and give them a fresh perspective, but none of them are going to deviate or, or, or fall away from the gospel. We can't new and improve the gospel. It's the gospel. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. 
And so I just want you to know that's who we are. And I'm so thankful in Philippians. Like, I don't, if you've been walking through this, you've been reading through Philippians, it's like, and, and Paul does this particularly in the letters often, and, and certainly all of the New Testament, everything points to Christ. But it seems like in Philippians particularly, it just seems like Paul just keeps making it a point and a clear point, not just kind of illusion or not kind of alluded to, but clearly. And I'm reminded in chapter three, verse one, when Paul says to write to you again about this is no trouble. And, and, and I think he's talking about a lot of the things and particularly what, he, what, he, what we unpacked then, but just also the gospel. Like it's, it's no problem for us to just keep landing on the gospel. And today, particularly, we're going we're gonna to land on the gospel. And there's going to be moments here where we're just kind of, Paul just kind of brings back up. He's going to kind of give us some, some uh, commands, things we need to do. And then he's just kind of kind of grounded in the gospel again. And my hope and my prayer for all of us this morning is that week in and week out as we come to this place and we hear about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us, it's not new and improved. We need Jesus Christ today just as much as we needed him yesterday and just as much as we'll need him tomorrow and the next day and the next day. It's Jesus. Everything centers around Jesus. So if you have your Bible, open up to Philippians chapter 3. If you haven't already, has everybody already done that? There's no pages turning. Okay, maybe you've already done that. Philippians chapter 3, you're ahead. You're ready to go. That's awesome. Okay, I want to back up, starting in verse 12. I'm not going to preach all of those. Scotty preached 12 through 16 last week. If you were here, if not, you can get on the podcast. Uh, and it's just an incredible sermon to, to just really call us to follow Christ. But I think it's good because for us to just kind of recap 12 through 16, because 17 uh, through 4.1 is really kind of part two. If you go, if you just get 17 through 4.1 and you don't at least know where we're coming from, uh, you're going to miss a little bit of it. You've got to know this kind of, pre-information that helps us understand what we're coming to, right? So starting in verse 12, not that I have already reached the goal or am already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because, it because I also have been taken hold of by Jesus Christ. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you also. In in any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. And so Scotty talked last week, and really kind of the, 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 the big things to pull out from there that are going to help us as we move is that Paul is expressing to the people to, to, the, to the church in, in Philippi here, that he has not reached full maturity. And again, we remind, this is Paul, right? We think, man, we get to look at the, all of the New Testament, and we see the life of Paul, I mean, and this is Paul, right? I mean, he's the, he's the guy who planted so many churches and wrote so much of the New Testament, and here he is expressing to them uh, the reality and the truth that he's not fully mature. He's not arrived. He's not saying, hey, I am the perfect Christian, He says, what I do is I make it my aim to forget what is behind and reach forward to what is ahead to pursue my goal of knowing Christ. And Paul says, I'm not not made it. I'm still struggling on this path. I'm still on this road to joy. I'm still following and pursuing and giving my everything to know 
Jesus Christ. And this is important for us because this is Paul, and you've got to recognize what, what Paul is saying here. Also, not just that, I'd arri- that he's not arrived. I think what's also important for us to hear is Paul saying, I'm still growing, I'm still learning, I'm still understanding things. It's not just that he's not sinless. I mean, obviously, he's not sinless. He's just saying, I'm st- this is still a process for me. I'm still learning. And he's about to call us to, to something that this is important to remember what he's saying. It's particularly um, meaningful for me this week as I begin to think about this passage today. Because when we get into this passage, there are some things that are really hard for me to stand up here and say to you. You talk about even some of the things that Paul's already said, that Christ is worth everything, that he's more important than anything, and he ought to be the most important thing in your life. And give your life to Jesus. He's, he's everything. Compared to every, everything else in this world, Jesus is, is most precious, and everything else is like trash or rubbish or dung, right? We talked about that. And just have to stand up in, before you and, and preach the word of God to you. I was talking to someone this morning, like, do you ever get nervous? I'm like, well, I'm not really nervous to stand in front of people and speak. That's not really nervous to me. What's nervous is to stand up in front of you as someone to open up God's word to you and say, this is what you should do. This is the way you ought to live. This is what the Bible is calling us to as followers of Christ. And then I've got to step down off of this stage and go home to my family. And I know that if you followed me, that there would be weeks, probably every week, where you said, Tim, this is what you said, and look at your life. And so I'm evaluating my life, and I'm so glad that Paul says, is that, look, we're not perfect. No one's claiming to be perfect. No one is saying we're perfect. But he is going to tell us that we can be people that other people can follow. And what is true about our hearts and wanting to follow Jesus and give him everything is true, and we're, gonna, we're all in the process of trying to live this out. And this is important for us to remember this morning. Starting verse 17, join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. See, at first glance, that sounds very egotistical, right, of Paul? Like, what does Paul think? Hey, follow me. Is this like a boasting? He's like, you know, beating his chest. Follow me because I'm so great. I'm so good at this. I'm the perfect Christian. No, that's exactly why I think he puts this text right after the other text. I'm not arrived, I'm not perfect, but I am going to say to you, I am someone who is following hard after Jesus Christ. What does he want these people to imitate? Yes, he certainly wants them to learn from him, to watch the way he lives, but not just that, because those things he knows aren't, aren't perfect. Not that anything is perfect in him, but he wants them to imitate his pursuit of Jesus Christ. He's saying, Look at me, learn from me, yes, but as I'm following Jesus Christ, come and see and watch, and there's other people around you that you can watch that are giving you an example of what it means like to follow after Jesus Christ. And he begins with this little phrase, join in imitating me. And I think he's speaking to one of the themes that we talked about in Philippians, that this is really about unity. Joining in this together in a pursuit of, to follow after Jesus Christ. Right, what does he want them to imitate? What is it that observe those? What is he wanting them to observe? What does he want them to imitate? To follow Jesus Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ, as he says in 1 Corinthians, cha- 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul isn't trying to make little Pauls. Paul's trying to make better Christians, better followers of Jesus Christ. Paul is 
Got his eyes set on Jesus. And so Paul's not mostly saying here, hey, follow me because I'm so great. He said, follow me because I'm following Jesus. And if you follow me, you'll follow Jesus. I want to illustrate. I think this is an easy concept, but I want to help help us illustrate just to get a visual this morning to understand. All right, so Kai, Kai's got some friends here. All you guys there on the second row there, third row, you guys got to come up here. All, how many? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. All right, let's go. All, All you boys up here, handsome gentlemen. All up to the stage. Kyle, you got to come too, man. Everybody up here. All right, get, get in the line. You, you go down there at the end. Matt, hey, Matt, you stand on the end there. All right, everybody, everybody face towards Matt. Matt, you face the wall over there. Okay, all right, you got to get close enough to like... All right, you good? Okay, all right, Matt, you, you take this, this. This will represent Jesus, all right? Just... If we're going to follow Jesus, how we're going to follow Jesus is the word of God. It's our ultimate example to know him, to know who he is. All right, so this is, this is we're going to follow Jesus, all right? And so, so I'm, I'm going to take you back, right? Kindergarten, VBS, we're going to just play a little follow the leader, all right? So, Matt, you just take him on a journey here. Follow the leader, okay? Just walk, follow. All right, keep following. There you go. Yeah. Man, you're a boring follow the leader leader. And spin around, do something, you know, there you go. All right, let's go, that's good. Okay, there you go, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, that's good, all right, stop. Okay, now, what's your name again? Henry, Henry Tim, we've met before. This is Kai. Who's Kai following? Who's Kai following? Is he following Henry? And Kai's following Jesus, right? He says, this is how discipleship works. Is one person follows Jesus and the next person follows the person in front of them. They're really not following the person in front of them. They're following Jesus. And, and listen, I know illustrations break down, all right? Okay, you guys can have a seat. You guys are like, what are we doing? I know illustrations can break down. I don't, I don't want you to see like a, one is ahead of the other or like, you know, closer to Jesus, like Matt's closer to Jesus because he's got them. But, but maybe there is this idea that there are people that are further along in their walk and, and closer to Jesus in the sense that they've been walking with Jesus longer and they, they know more, they have more knowledge, they have more understanding. It doesn't mean that there are other people that Matt, who's up here, you know, been walking with Jesus for a while, there are other people that he's looking at to follow, but they're all following Jesus. That, that's the picture. And the picture is we're all doing this together. That, that if one person is following, another person is following, another person is following, another person, that we're all in this pursuit together. This isn't a call just for the super Christians. We start talking about discipleship and being a disciple and following Jesus Christ and getting someone in your life that will help you follow Jesus Christ. Like finding someone that you can observe, that you can watch. This isn't a, just an observe. The word that Paul uses, not just an observe. They're like, just kind of sit back and watch, Right? I'm just going to observe and see. No, it's a watch so that what I'm seeing, what I'm watching, what I'm understanding, I can then apply to my own life. And that we are to be doing this together as the body of Christ. This isn't just a call for certain people. This is a call for all of us, and we are all to be doing this together. You need to be finding people in your life, you know, look around you. And sometimes it's not just like there's this one person. That's Paul's whole point. Like there's not this one person, right? We're not just standing up. This one person in the church is like, this is the person that everyone should follow because he or she has everything figured out. And what it looks more like is you see someone in the church, you say, 
man, they seem like they really know how to pray, and I'm really struggling with prayer. And so I'm going to watch them. I say, hey, can I come alongside you? Can I watch you? Can, can I observe you? Can you teach me how to pray? And maybe they're really not very good at evangelism, but this person over here is really good at evangelism. And you know that part of following Jesus Christ is that we've got to share the gospel. So you go to this person, you say, hey, can I just follow you? Can I watch? Can you teach me how, how to share Christ with others? And we're all looking at the strengths and the gifts and the abilities that God has given us and we're learning from each other about how to better follow Jesus Christ. That's the picture here. And certainly Paul says, look, there are, you, you have people that you can be, that you can watch. There, there are people, just, not just Paul, but there's other people that you need to imitate. You need to watch them. You need to observe their lives because there are people who have surrendered to Jesus Christ to be faithful followers of him. They're not fully mature. They're not perfect. They haven't arrived. They're going to make mistakes. They're going to fail. Because then he's going to give us these two kind of pictures here. And the reality is what he's saying is you, you're going to follow somebody. And he's going to really give these two pictures. A picture of one person who thinks that they're following Christ. And a picture of another person who actually is following Christ. Verse 18, for I have often told you, and now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. Now I know immediately it's easy for us and there's some debate here on who is Paul talking about? Like is this, is this like an, or are these the Judaizers that we talked about before? Are these some Gentile people that are, you know, just really carnal or whatever? And I think maybe that's true. I think maybe Paul has in mind just people in general. And I don't think he particularly has any kind of organized group that's within the church. Or I think he would have, he would have addressed them directly like these people. But I think what Paul mostly has in view, because he set them up as a people that somebody might want to follow in their pursuit of Christ. And he set them up as, look, these might be a people that you would look to. And then he's going to give us another group that you might want to look to. And so who I think these people really are, people that are in the church or connected to the church or at least calling themselves Christians. They have some claim to follow Jesus Christ. They have something that a follower of Jesus Christ would look at them and say, oh, that's how I'm supposed to follow Christ. They have some sense of Christianity. But Paul makes some statements about them that are not good. He says, there is this group of people. I've told you about them. And they're actually enemies of the cross. They think they're following the cross, but they're actually enemies of the cross. These are strong words. Again, Paul not holding back any punches. They are against the cross. How are they against the cross of Christ? And he tells us here, their end is destruction. They think their pursuits are good. They think the things that they are pursuing are going to give them happiness and joy. They think that they're going to make them build something up for themselves that will give them success or honor or glory or whatever they're looking for. But in reality, all of the things that they're living for, the results are going to be destruction. They will be destroyed. 
And in the end, the result, what is waiting for them, is total annihilation. It says not only that, but their God is their stomach. Their God is their own selfish desires. Who they're really worshiping. See, they think they're worshiping Jesus or maybe they're even claiming to worship Jesus, but with their lives, who they're really living for, who their lives, who they're giving to, who they're following is their own selfish desires. They're just worried about themselves and their own pleasures and what's gonna make them happy. Just the stomach is just an example here of like you know, eating food, whatever's gonna make them happy. That's what drives them. That's what motivates them. That's their God. And he says, not only that, but their glory is in their shame. What does it mean? Their glory is in their shame. That the things that they have to live for, the things that they have to prop up and say, man, look how great this thing is. Look how good this thing is. In the end is really their shame. Because it will not get them what they've, want, what they've longed for. It will not get them what they're hoping it will get them. It will actually be their shame. They're thinking they can do good enough or be right enough or have the right things that in the end they can say, look how glorious this is. And in reality, in the face of God, it will just be shameful. I think it's easy for us. We read this description and we think about this and to just mock, particularly those of us who've Grown up in the church and, you know, we think we're good and we see these people out there who have this acclaim to Christianity, but they're really not living it. There is no pursuit in their life and we look at them and we just mock them. I mean, this happened to us this week when we were at our, our convention or our conference thing this week and we sat down to eat at this place and this guy came up to the next to us and he was just using foul language and all kinds of wor- words and then he asked us what we did, <laughs> and we told him we were pastors, and immediately everything changed. Words changed. All of a sudden, you know, I love the church, I, I'm, you know, all of these things. And I don't know that guy. But I know the first part of me was to want to look at him and just be disgusted. How dare you? I think Paul gives us a better perspective this morning. He says, I told you about these people. And I'm saying to you again, and it makes me weep. When when Paul thinks about these people, he begins to weep because they are deceived. And the reality is, there are some of you sitting in these pews this morning who have a claim to Christianity. I've checked off my good Christian box. I've got that covered. I'll put Jesus in this little hole and then I'm going to go live my life however I want to live it. I'm my own God. I will glory in the things of this world. And he says, he, he, he sums them up. He says they are focused on earthly things. And when Paul thinks about these people, he doesn't, he weeps for them. And this morning, I want you to hear from someone who says, I have not arrived. I'm not standing in here in judgment of you. I'm not, I know I'm not fully mature. I know I have problems of my own, but I'm living for Jesus Christ. And if you're in this place and this is you, you've been deceived. And if someone else sold you a bill of goods that says, you can just pray a prayer and everything is good. 
I can, I can just pray a prayer, come to church occasionally, and put Jesus up in this thing, and that's good, so that in the end, everything will be okay. But I can go my own way, I can live for the things of this world, and I can give my life to whatever makes me happy. My heart weeps for you this morning. Because that's not the gospel. And I want to say to us as a church, when we see those people, when we think about those people, do your hearts weep? When was the last time that you really wept over people who are deceived? Because I think it's so much easier for us to stand over here and go, I'm so glad I'm not like that. Instead to see what's really going to happen, that there's destruction waiting for them, that they really aren't following Christ to weep for their souls. To weep that they might see the reality of what is happening in their lives. To weep to see that that they might see the truth of what is going on in their hearts. Because he says there is this other group. He's talking about, he says, verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. This other group of people Their focus is not on the earthly things, not on the things of this world, but the things of Jesus Christ. Their citizenship is in heaven. Their focus is on heaven. This will be particularly important to the Romans. Most of these people are probably Roman Gentiles. When you start talking about citizenship in Rome, and they're proud of Rome. And they're proud to be Romans. I think that's true for us as Americans, right? We hear this word citizenship. We understand what that means. We're proud to be Americans, we sing about it, right? And even more so, we're proud to be Texan, right? It's like, this is it's Texas. We're citizens of Texas. But we know what that means, right? It means I love America. I love the things that we stand for. Certainly, we're not perfect, and we've got our problems. But when I think about who we are my citizenship in America, that we stand for freedom and all the things that we live for and stand for as a country, and I don't think Paul's saying that that's, that, that that's irrelevant. Certainly, we have a role to play in that. But he says what's most important is our citizenship is in heaven, that our primary citizenship, this isn't dual citizenship. This isn't I am equally an American and equally a Christian. No, this is my only citizenship is in heaven. What is most important are the things of God. My focus is not on this earth, not on the earthly things, not on trying to build myself up. My, my, my focus is on heaven and the things of God. He says, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. Well, Paul has told us about this group who seems to have some claim to, yeah, Jesus, he's all right, but they're living their lives in such a way that Jesus does not matter. The true focus of their lives' actions, the true focus of their hearts, are themselves. Paul says, but there is this other group who are truly citizens of heaven. And and I want to just kind of help us process this since since it was so clear in the beginning in, in, in verse 18 and 19. And thinking about what Paul then explains for these people. 
So you have a summary of these people who live for the earthly things. Now the summary statement of these people who live for the citizenship of heaven, that they live for the things of God. And he says their, their end will be transformation, not destruction. Those people who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and are actually living their lives for the glory of God who are saying, I'm a, citizenship of, uh, I'm a citizen of heaven. What is most important to me are the things of God. I'm going to live for God. What will happen ultimately in the end is they will be transformed. He says there, he will transform the body of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't know exactly what all of that means. And I think anybody that tells you doesn't know the truth either. And something's going to happen. There is some transformation to glory and, 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 and perfection of some sort. When we get to heaven, it's not going to be like we are here. A physical body, what will we be able I don't know all of those things, but I do know there's going to be a glorious transformation and we will be made like Jesus Christ. There will be no more struggle with sin. We will be fully mature. Not that we'll know everything. We'll still learn about who God is forever and ever. That's probably what I think will happen. We're not, we're not going to be turned into little gods. All right? We're not, you know, not going to be worshipped. We are still going to worship Jesus Christ. We're going to still submit to his authority. But the Bible does say that we will reign with him. We will be transformed. No more sin. No more death. No more struggle with the things of this world. The things that we're looking for. The things that we're living for in our lives as citizens of, of, of heaven will result in transformation, not destruction. And then he says, our God is Jesus Christ. We are waiting. We are eagerly waiting for the Savior. And if that's not clear enough, the Savior, Jesus Christ, he is our God. We wait for him. And as we wait, we live for him. We don't live for our own selfish pleasures. We don't decide, we, we don't, we're not our own gods. We're not idolaters. Jesus Christ is our God. He is the one whom we worship. He is the one whom we give our lives to. He is the one who has control of our lives, who tells us what we should do. He is our God. And if he is our God, we submit to him. We submit to his authority. And then it says our glory, our glory what we see here is our glory is in his body or his glory. We, we don't live for our, our, own, our own glory. Look, look how great, look how good. I, we know that we have nothing to offer. The only things that we have to offer is the body and the work and the person and the power of Jesus Christ. Anything that's good that is happening in us now, we say it's because of Jesus Christ. We don't look at us and go, yeah, I'm so good. I'm a good Christian. I've read my Bible three, four, five days this week. That makes me better than you or whatever. We say anything good that is happening in me, anything that God is doing in me is because of Jesus Christ. When we get to the end and we stand before God, we will have nothing to show. We will have no works that will merit us salvation. The only thing that will merit us salvation are the works of Jesus Christ. Now, certainly, we want to live for him. and We want to do good works that will express that Jesus is our God, but they are not our glory. We don't hold them up as saying, look how glorious my works are. No, we hold the work of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross and that he, that he conquered death. And he rose on the third day. We said, that is the glorious work. 
No matter how good you will be on this earth, no matter what things you possess, no matter what goods or whatever, how many deeds you can muster up to be good enough, they will all pale in comparison to the work of Jesus Christ. They will bring you no glory. They will bring you shame. And Paul gives us these two examples here. We have this power of Jesus Christ that we're living in. A power to transform, to be our God. And ultimately, he will be our glory. And then you have these other people who they claim to have a faith, but if you look at their lives, if you were to follow them, if, you, if they were to be your example, this is what you would see. You would ultimately see their end is destruction. What you would ultimately see is that they're really living for their own selves. They're living for their own glory, their own fame. They're not living for God. And their works are shameful. These are the two options. Are you going to follow these people or are you going to follow these people? And then he kind of sums everything up. Chapter 4, verse 1. So then... In this way, in this manner, my dearly loved brothers and sisters, my joy and crown. We talked earlier about Philippians. Man, this is an intimate letter. Paul is trying to connect his heart with them. He's saying, listen, you're my joy. You're my crown. I love you. I've, I've given my life for you. When I think about you, it brings me joy, and, and, it, and it brings me honor. It makes me glad that, that I've served you. He wants them to see what they should do. He wants them to see the example that they should follow. And then he gives us this imperative. He says, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Stand firm in the Lord. This this really is is kind of a picture here of, of not running away. He's basically saying, you know the answer you know which ones you should follow. You know which group you should, you should look at as the example. And he's saying, don't run away and do what's wrong. Stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in following and being a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting here what Paul did. I think Paul starts this beginning section and says, imitate me, follow me. Be a good disciple. Find somebody else in your life that you can follow that will be a good example for you. And now he's telling them, you stand firm. What is he telling them? Not just follow someone, but you be someone that someone else can follow. Because the reality is that's for all of us. If we're going to claim that we're following Jesus Christ, we're going to be in one of these two camps. If someone were to follow you, and they were to walk with you every day this week, and they came back next Sunday, they would say one of two things about you. They would say, man, this person, not perfect, not fully mature, but man, they are giving it all for Jesus Christ. It is clear to me that he is their God, and man, they are longing and living for the things of Jesus Christ. They are citizens of another world. They are, they are alien. This, this place is weird. They, they, man, they follow Jesus. Or they're going to follow you, and they're going to go, not so sure. I mean, they kind of said some things about Jesus, but with the actions of their lives, it sure didn't seem like it. 
sure seems like they were living for their own glory. So you're going to be an example to the people around you, whether you like it or not. So when we start, when we start talking about discipleship, I think it's easy for us to be, make all of these excuses of why we can't be a, a disciple maker. Well, Tim, I'm not good enough. You're right. You're not good enough. Neither am I. And if the requirement for someone to say, I'm going to be someone who someone else can follow, I'm going to stand firm. If it's, I have to arrive and I have to be this perfect example, then none of us are qualified, not even Paul. God's not asking us to be perfect. He's just asking us to live as citizens of of his kingdom the best that we can. To stand firm, to say, God, you are my God. I will live for you. This is not my home. I'm not perfect, but I have my eyes fixed on the kingdom. Forgetting what lies behind me and I'm pursuing with all that I am, knowing Jesus Christ. I will fall along the way, but I will pick myself up and I will continue to pursue after Jesus Christ. So I think the question before us is, which example are you living? What kind of example are you to the people around you? Are you an example of someone who's standing firm? following Jesus Christ. Again, I'm not perfect. I'll make mistakes. But the focus of my life is Jesus Christ. Or are you someone who's standing as an example of someone who's being focused on earthly things? Maybe you give a little something to Jesus over here. That's not what it means to be a follower of Christ. You're either all in or you're not in at all. I told you, I understand what it means. One of the most difficult things to stand up here in front of you is to say, follow Jesus Christ and then to know I've got to do this and I'm not perfect. That's no excuse. It's not an excuse for any of us. What we ought to say is, yeah, I know I'm not perfect, but man, I'm pursuing Jesus Christ. Come with me. Let's do this together. Let's pursue Jesus together. When you fall down, I'll be there and I'll pick you up and I'll help you follow Jesus. When I fall down, you be there, you pick me up. Let's follow Jesus together. What kind of example are you being? What kind of example are you living? 